You can save 15% or more at Amazon when you pay with Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv. You can set your own discount. 5% gets you fastest delivery, or you can set it to 30% or more if you're not in a hurry. Purse makes it so easy to save money at Amazon by buying with crypto. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv and start saving now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of August 18th, 2019, the podcast that's anything but typical. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Daniel Wilcox. Welcome back, Daniel. Hey, been a while. Yeah. But I saw some of the stories here, and I had to take this. Oh, well, great to have you back. So let's impersonalize the news of the bogus. This isn't exactly an update in the Kim.com extradition case we've been following that's been going on for the last seven years, because the only real update there is that nothing's happening. But .com isn't being idle. He's trying to stir up opposition to Joe Biden, who's showing up in polls as the frontrunner for the Democratic presidential candidate in 2020. Of all people, why would Biden be the Democratic frontrunner? I mean, did they not learn from last time? With an establishment candidate. I don't know. I can't answer you that, but I can answer why .com is so concerned. It's because Biden was one of the big driving forces behind the destruction of Mega Upload and the prosecution of its developers. .com insists that Mega Upload, which some regard as the world's first cloud storage site, was sacrificed by Biden as a gift to his Hollywood cronies. In 2016, .com initiated a similar campaign against Hillary Clinton, and although he doesn't claim to be solely responsible for her defeat, he did tweet, quote, Those of you who followed me long enough understand my role in preventing Hillary, but Joe Biden will be my biggest pleasure. Like Hillary Clinton, he's corrupt to the core and can never become U.S. president. Watch me in 2020. Wait, I thought that show got canceled years ago. It was never good after Stossel left anyway. I was trying to make a joke, so... Yeah, one of these days it'll happen. .com still has a database of former Mega Upload users, and apparently he's willing to use it. Quote, Still waiting to get access to your Mega Upload files? I will email 30 million former U.S. Mega Upload users a video link in 2020 explaining how Joe Biden destroyed your favorite website. Most of you were teenagers and students then, but now you're voters. Let's retire Biden together. Yeah, I mean, I come from, like, game modding communities, so Mega Upload was really par for the course with uh, mods and hacks for different software. Yeah, I had a Mega Upload account, so it'll be interesting to see if I'm one of the ones who gets the video. Because he says, quote, Everyone who ever uploaded a file to Mega Upload from a US IP address will receive this video link about how Joe Biden abused his power to destroy Mega Upload, including commentary from an insider and Biden bragging to a lawyer we planted at a fundraiser that he destroyed Mega Upload. So wait, he brags on record about this and nobody ever covers it. Well, he bragged to an insider that they had put in, and apparently they have it on video. Oh. And no one's seen the video yet, but the accusations against Biden are nothing new. They go back to the origin of the case seven years ago, which, according to .com, is really only at its halfway point. He detailed the next steps in a tweet. Supreme Court decision this year. If we fail, then Minister of Justice decides. If Minister of Justice approves extradition, then judicial review. High Court... 
Court of Appeal, Supreme Court with a better bench. According to Crown Law, five to seven years. So sit back, this isn't going to be over anytime soon. It doesn't sound like it. And it looks like .com's not going anywhere. Quote, I'll be here until the end. My case is the biggest stain on New Zealand's rule of law. My gift to the independent judiciary. Yeah, and what a gift it is. And I know I'm still rooting for him. Ads are annoying, but ad blockers prevent publishers from making money. What if you could support your favorite websites, YouTube creators, Twitch streamers, social accounts, and many more ad-free and without paying anything, and even make some money yourself? It's not a pipe dream, it's airtime. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and get the browser extension and you'll earn cryptocurrency for the sites you visit. And so will the publisher. This is not a crypto miner. You and the publisher will both get part of the reward from current miners of the BitTube cryptocurrency with no middleman taking a cut. Even if the publisher hasn't signed up yet, his tube will be put into a dedicated wallet that he can claim upon sign-up. You can also use your tube to tip publishers and even purchase products. Airtime monetizes users and publishers with no ads or crypto miners. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and start making money now. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Another subject we've been covering is how GDPR, the European law meant to enhance online privacy, is causing a lot more problems than it solves. I've seen websites suffering from GDPR legislation since the beginning. Uh, Like, I was a regular uh, Wikia user, or fandom as it's now called, and... So what's happening there? Well, Wikia used to have a uh, have a format uh, that mimicked uh, the default layout of Wikipedia, but GDPR basically made the code in that illegal. Wow. And uh, the same thing happened with one of the modding sites I go to, the Nexus, where they the Nexus had to be updated to be in line with GDPR, which broke a lot of... Uh, older software that relied on connecting with the Nexus servers. Yeah, I was wondering why Wikia changed their format. I didn't know it was because of GDPR. Yeah, I was kind of there for the whole thing firsthand when it was happening. And here's something else that pretty much any online savvy person saw coming. GDPR can be used to defeat privacy measures and gain access to the personal information of others. What a twist! One of the requirements of GDPR is right of access requests, meaning that any individual can ask an organization for a copy of any data held on them. Anyone who's paid any attention to cybersecurity issues can spot the problem immediately. How do they know the individual requesting the data is who they say they are? Well, that's what Oxford PhD student James Pavor said to find out, and he found out that most companies, as with everything else, don't do enough to verify that the individual is who they claim to be. And it doesn't help that GDPR puts in some very short time limits on how quickly an organization has to respond. I mean, for something this serious, you'd think you'd need multiple, like, a lot of levels of authentication. So with his fiancée's permission, he contacted 150 organizations in the U.S. and the U.K. claiming to be her to see what information he could get. 
He presented his findings at this past week's Black Hat Convention. For the first 75 he contacted by letter, he used only information he could find online. Name, email address, phone number, things like that. With no more than that, companies provided him with other information about her, like her home address. With that additional information, he contacted the other 75 by email, and some of them were so convinced that they sent back her social security number, previous home addresses, hotel logs, school grades, online dating activity, and even her credit card numbers. This is pretty scary. It reminds me of when they, uh, I, because of my uh, disability, I had some, like, an aid in school. And one of the things that they were kind of teaching me to do was... Uh, use the White Pages website. So you can find that stuff really easily just by a very quick search. Yeah, and he didn't have to do anything like, you know, fake documents or forge signatures or even spoof her email address. Yeah. I mean, just a simple email verification would have defeated a lot of this. Now, he didn't name the worst actors, but he did say what kind of businesses they were, including a UK hotel chain that gave him a complete record of his fiancé's overnight stays, two UK rail companies that recorded all of her trips with them, and a US company that handed over her high school grades, her mother's maiden name, and the results of a criminal background check. You can start with just a little bit of information easily obtained online, and thanks to the most lax websites, you gain a little more information and then use that to gain a little more information, and so on until you have enough to steal someone's identity entirely. That sounds about right. Now, he did name the three that challenged his requests properly, and that was Tesco, Bed Bath & Beyond, and American Airlines. But over a quarter of the companies he contacted handed over her data without any verification, 16% asked for easily forged credentials, and 39% asked for strong identity verification. And keep in mind, it only takes one for your information to get out there. Yeah. Pavur said that the biggest corporations could be more responsive because they have the personnel to deal with it, and the smallest could be more responsive because they didn't have many to worry about in the first place. It's those medium-sized organizations that are the problem. They get a lot of requests, but they don't have the personnel to handle them in a timely manner, so they have to cut corners if they want to comply with GDPR's time limits. So, let me get this straight. GDPR had the opposite of the stated intention? What a shock! Yeah, no government policy's ever done that before. And all it's ultimately doing is making things worse and more inconvenient for everybody. And according to Pavur, even in those best cases, someone who could steal or forge a driver's license could get almost complete access to your digital life. And I actually kind of mentioned this last night in the live stream when we were talking about cryptocurrency exchanges and how they do that KYC AML stuff where you send them a picture of yourself with your driver's license. So yeah, I really don't want that getting around. Yeah. I know Family Guy did a weirdly prescient episode about this where James Woods steals Peter's wallet and that basically allows him to just take over his entire identity. And the real danger is there's no way to detect that kind of identity. I mean, if someone has forged documents on you, As long as they're good enough forgeries, they just go right through everything. Now, 13% of them actually ignored his request altogether, which, in those cases, at least they weren't giving out data to someone who wasn't authorized to have it, even though they were technically violating GDPR. Yeah. And in fairness, it is true that this sort of thing can absolutely happen absent of GDPR, but the right of access request requirement makes it a lot easier. 
Yeah, I mean, to say, oh, this can happen without GDPR is just denying that GDPR has any effect on it. Yeah, I mean, it's making it worse. If you're on the Wi-Fi in the coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality Internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. And it's deja vu all over again as there's yet another mass shooter's phone the FBI can't get into. On the heels of both AG Barr and attorneys for the Five Eyes saying they need backdoors into our encrypted devices, FBI officials are now claiming they can't access the Dayton gunman smartphone because it's protected by a passcode. These people don't understand how backdoors work, do they? <laughs> well, and... Also, yet again, there's no indication of what they might be looking for. I mean, just as we never heard what kind of burning and important national security information they got from the phone of one of the San Bernardino shooters, here we have just the desire to get a general warrant to poke around in the documents of a suspect who's dead already. Obviously, they're looking for red flags. Yeah. But, I mean, one wonders how they think criminals were ever investigated and prosecuted before cops had smartphones to root around in. You know, like good old-fashioned detective work, which is something that a lot of older and retired detectives are bemoaning as a lost art. Law enforcement is becoming too reliant on gadgets and privacy-destroying policies that occasionally give them useful evidence, while eschewing the techniques that help them reach more reliable conclusions without tearing the Fourth Amendment to shreds. I mean, even uh, if you take more contemporary uh, measures, you can still rely more on things like DNA testing. Yeah, but I mean, things like DNA testing and all those things, those are tools. That's all they are. They're just tools. You still need those basic investigative techniques that have been honed for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah, true. Uh, forensics is not a catch-all substitute for the little gray cells, as it were. Yeah, but people watch CSI and... They think, oh, well, it's just about this magic technology that spits out the right answer, and it doesn't work that way. There's no enhance button, people! Now, I can't find any information on what kind of smartphone it is, but if it's an iPhone, recall that in the San Bernardino case, Apple said that all they had to do was just leave the phone alone, leave it on a charger, and let it sync to iCloud, and then Apple could give them the information. Instead, they hand-fistedly tried to unlock it, and in the process, just completely made it unable to connect. Well, if it's an Android device, depending on who it is, you know, Google, Samsung, and others have similar backup services in their phones, but I can't find anything about whether the FBI tried to contact any of them for assistance to get it off the backups. So, I mean, really, let's be honest here. 
They're not whining that they can't get into the Dayton shooter's phone. They're whining that they can't get into your phone. I think a lot of people think that somehow these back doors work in a way that it won't affect their ability to get into my data. I'm a good boy. It's a forensic tool. Well, what's the difference between a forensic tool and a hacking tool? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like I've been saying the whole time about hacking tools versus security tools like penetration testing. They'll tell you what back doors there are into a system and how you can get in. That can be used by hackers to get in, but it's also vital that cybersecurity professionals be able to use them to detect what parts of a network are vulnerable so they can close them. A lockpick opens your door just as well as any criminal's door. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to stultify this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes generally to all of the politicians and pundits blaming violent video games for actual violence in society, in particular mass shootings. Okay, first of all, I've been ranting on this for the past few months, by the way. Oh, I think he's triggered, folks. Yeah, sorry. Because I've been talking to the people on the left who are getting up in arms about this. And they take issue with me calling them moral guardians. Because they say, oh, no, no, we're not like... Moral guardians is a term that applies to, like, soccer moms and religious fundamentalists. Okay, explain to me what the difference is and what you're advocating here. Well, and like you're saying, these are people on the left, and there's also plenty of people on the right doing it. This isn't a left versus right thing, you know, orange man bad or whatever. They're both doing it. Yeah, now the right's getting back into it, which feels kind of like a throwback, because that seems like how it used to be at the very least. Yeah, that's how it was like back in the 90s and then in the 2000s. Like, for a while, it became Hillary's pet subject. This has literally been a controversy that has happened every time there's a new form of media. And we've covered over and over again why this is bogus, including looking at the scientific research. And that just got another shot in the arm with a new paper published in this month's Journal of Youth and Adolescence. The paper is called Aggressive Video Games Are Not a Risk Factor for Future Aggression in Youth, a Longitudinal Study by Christopher J. Ferguson and C.K. John Wang. One disclaimer... The news media isn't exactly rushing to cover this, so I couldn't find an article 
that covers it in depth, so I'm having to rely on the published abstract and the only version of the paper I could find online that wasn't behind a paywall, which was an uncorrected version on Ferguson's website. But going by the published abstract, the results are clear, quote, Results indicate that aggressive video games were unrelated to any of the outcomes using the study criteria for significance. It would take 27 hours a day of M-rated gameplay to produce clinically noticeable changes in aggression. Effect sizes for aggression and pro-social outcomes were little different than for nonsense outcomes. Evidence from this study does not support the conclusion that aggressive video games are a predictor of later aggression or reduced pro-social behavior in youth. By the way, if anyone is interested, I did a paper on this very subject in high school. And uh, I recommend looking at the work of uh, Professor Henry Jenkins, who is a uh, media studies professor, uh, an MIT media studies professor, who did some great work on this. So we're told that violent video games desensitize people to violence and make them more aggressive and antisocial. In particular, the authors note the resolution of the American Psychological Association, which said, quote, The link between violent video game exposure and aggressive behavior is one of the most studied and best established. Scientific research has demonstrated an association between violent video game use and both increases in aggressive behavior, aggressive effect, aggressive cognitions, and decreases in pro-social behavior, empathy, and moral engagement. All existing quantitative reviews of the violent video game literature have found a direct association between violent video game use and aggressive outcomes, and many other such claims, which the authors pretty much trashed throughout the paper. So they determined, quote, Current results found that aggressive video game exposure was not linked to either aggressive behavior or pro-social behavior two years later among youth. Regarding clinical significance, current results suggest that it would require more hours of M-rated gameplay to produce clinically significant aggression than exists in a day. Therefore, data from this study do not suggest that aggressive video games contribute to real-world aggression. These results fit with numerous other recent longitudinal analyses that have found no long-term predictive relationship between aggressive video games and future aggression in youth. You mean the results are the same as they were the last several times they tried this? What a shock! Yeah. As in, this is a reproducible result! Yeah, it's amazing how science keeps working, right? Yes! And 2 plus 2 is still equal to 4. In addition to the usual players like Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren, we've also heard House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy about how video games dehumanize individuals and contribute to mass shooting. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick blamed Call of Duty for the El Paso shooting. And memes of gamers turning violent started being passed around everywhere, although most of these were probably tongue-in-cheek. Many definitely were. I know there's a video from what used to be a decent uh, gaming philosophy channel, Extra Credits, that has this whole idiotic hot take about how, uh, and just about every gaming YouTuber with half a brain has responded to it, basically debunking it. Even Te like I know Teal Deer did one, but basically they tried to claim that the option to play as a Nazi in a multiplayer World War II shooter was bad and that only an actual fascist would actually voluntarily play as a Nazi and that having it auto-selected for you was bad because, yeah. 
Because you had a 50-50 chance of being indoctrinated as a Nazi or whatever. Yeah, did you, did you see any of that? or? I think I did see it. I don't remember a lot of the details, but I think I did watch the Teal Deer video. But of course, when you press these people, they hedge their bets and they say, well, of course, it's not the sole determining factor, but it is a risk factor. The study's authors don't have a lot of time for those claims, quote, Quotes such as, violent video games are just one risk factor, they're not the biggest and they're not the smallest, they're right in the middle with kind of the same effect size as coming from a broken home, appear to be entirely incorrect. Aggressive video game playing does not appear to be a risk factor for future youth aggression at all, and certainly should not be compared to the influence of broken homes. But like you said, this is just the latest thing that happens when... Any kind of new media comes up. When I was growing up, it was, believe it or not, Bugs Bunny cartoons that were going to turn kids violent. Do I need to bring up how Socrates said that the written word would make people lazy? (laughs) But then it was aggressive, toxic toys made for boys as opposed to the peaceful, nurturing toys made for girls. Blaming video games is just the latest round of this. But as the study's authors said, quote, Research, particularly that which is pre-registered and standardized, has had difficulty finding evidence that exposure to fictional media and aggressive video games specifically is connected to the development of more aggressive profiles among youth. The current study joins this expanding pool of research. Put simply, the APA resolution on aggressive video games does not reflect current science. You know what study I would like to see? I would like to see a study... It explains exactly why people keep looping into this behavior. As many times as it keeps getting debunked, why does it keep becoming a mainstream topic? Well, and we also see other things like, you know, the presence of armed citizens has been shown to massively reduce, if not prevent entirely, the deaths from mass shootings. And yet they uh, say, oh, well, it's the guns, it's the guns. Well, it's the same kind of thing. This mythical link between violence and video games is just something else that politicians and pundits just don't want to face the reality of. Yeah, it's not the availability of guns, it's not diagnosed mental illness, and it's definitely not violent video games. Politics always looks for the easy answer and the quick solution when reality just doesn't work that way. Razor Fist had a pretty good quote on this uh, too recently. What you demystify, you disarm. What you demonize, you attract the impressionable to. I think I did see that video where you said that. That was good. So all of that makes these politicians and pundits this week's biggest bogani emitter. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. 
You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now let's anonymize this week's And this week it goes to the California DMV for taking what was basically a quick prank and exploding it into major hilarity. Vanity plates are when someone gets a license plate that isn't random letters and numbers, but which spells out a word or it's something else customized. The hacker known as Droogie decided to register the vanity plate null in his home state of California, N-U-L-L, to see if it would confuse the database into not giving him any tickets. His thinking was that since null is a programming term for no value and is properly stored as a zero byte, in other words, eight zeros in binary, his thinking was that might fool any license plate readers into thinking there wasn't a valid plate. And computer languages often use this word null written out as a substitute for this zero byte null character the way they'll write out true or false. Doesn't this kind of result in a bug in uh GPS programs where there's a null island because the island or because the GPS doesn't know how to recognize the zero zero coordinates or something. I hadn't heard of that one. Zero longitude and zero latitude. Yeah, look up null island. Okay. So he was thinking there was an off chance that California didn't sanitize its database inputs and would put his license plate down as a literal null instead of the word, meaning he could never get any tickets sent to him by the system. Instead, exactly the opposite happened. After getting a legitimate parking ticket, he started being blanketed with tens of thousands of dollars worth of random tickets that were not his. What? (laughs) How? Well, what it seems like was happening was that the database that was processing the tickets was storing the word null, N-U-L-L, instead of a literal null character whenever it stored a citation but didn't have a valid plate number. And so apparently this was the system trying to alert someone that, hey, something is wrong with the tickets and it doesn't know the plate numbers. But what actually happened was that it matched the null with Droogie's plate and sent him over $12,000 worth of outstanding tickets. Oh, I see. So explaining the situation at this week's DEFCON, he said that both the DMV and the LAPD told him the solution was to change his plates. Quote, I said, no, I didn't do anything wrong. The state can get really weird about uh, license plates. I remember uh, a few years ago in New York, I think people were trying to make uh, like pro-Ron Paul license plates. And that was a huge issue. Well, I know at one point, Penn Jillette tried to get a license plate that read no god and they wouldn't let him do it so he got one that said dog on which is no god in reverse thinking that if someone looked at it you know in the rearview mirror or something it might read no god but they wouldn't let him get no god and i i know a guy who wanted to get a spoonerism of his name but the spoonerism uh, was deemed too offensive and I can't really tell you what it is, because that would involve revealing his name. And... I think we can use our imagination. Yeah. Like if, if his name was Chuck Farley or something like that. Basically. 
So the DMV cleared up the fines of the processing center, which is good. But the bad part is they didn't actually fix the problem. So the tickets continue to come in, and the system thinks he owes another $6,000. Oh, God. And I mean, they don't really have much incentive to fix it, because what's he going to do about it? Yeah. Well, he's just going to keep telling them they're not mine, and they'll get it cleared up. And I guess as long as they figure that's less of a hassle than actually fixing the system... They'll just keep it on like this. Yeah, so someone tried to get the plate false, F-A-L-S-E, and see what happens. <laughs> so, in one sense, you could say that his... Pra- if, how about it's like slash dev slash null? Is that... Another, can you put that many characters on it? That might be a... Okay, Linux people will get that, no one else will. Anyway, in one sense, you could say that his prank majorly backfired... In another sense, you could say it was a spectacular success, exceeding expectations to a hilarious degree. I mean, who would have expected this outcome? How many failures have to happen for this to be even possible? Failures to the magnitude that only government is capable of. So that just has to make the California DMV this week's... up this tongue-tied and twisted just an earthbound misfit edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come to discord.bogosity.tv where you can join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please go to donate.bogosity.tv where you can give using PayPal or crypto, or subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar to get the podcast and YouTube videos early and ad-free. You can even support this podcast for free with the airtime extension and make a little money for yourself, too. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Daniel Wilcox for joining me. It was great to be back. Thanks. Until next time, here's a quote from Alexander Karp. We have to find places that we protect away from government so that we can all be the unique and interesting and, in my case, somewhat deviant people we'd like to be. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, and derivatives 4.0 international license. You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.bogosity.tv, your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.bogosity.tv now.